Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Thank you for the invitation to speak at this event. I'm really excited to be participating and my talk today focuses on how the future of trade is changing. I'll paint a vision for how these changes offer family businesses the opportunity to take their place on the global stage and survive generations. A brief introduction to myself. I'm the CEO of Den Consultants, a growth advisory company focused on developing and commercializing opportunities, gender mobilization, and market development. We work extensively in the financial services sector with family businesses, fintechs, and governments. Trade has always been a key part of Africa's history. On a global scale, African trade in goods and services amount to around 3% of global exports. Majority of Africa's trade is in raw materials at the low end of the value chain. Only 16% is finished product. Africa therefore has the opportunity to compete higher up the value chain. In 2020, global trade slowed down by 5.5%. This is partly due to the pandemic, but also turf wars. These turf wars are not going to go away quickly, and multilateral progress has yet to live up to expectations. This will have an impact on future trade and on Africa's role as well. However, it's important to recognise that the landscape of trade is changing. Technology, trade and services, trade policy and infrastructure development are driving the future. Governments are becoming more innovative in terms of bilateral regional agreements. The single African Union that we talked about on Monday is one such policy innovation. Family businesses have the opportunity to leverage these changes and compete higher up the global chain. They can future-proof their businesses, transforming digitally and sustainably, alternatively diversify, start and build such businesses. My talk today therefore covers some of the other trade agreements and opportunities they offer. I'll discuss the changes driving trade, technology, services, sustainability and infrastructure. I'll also briefly touch on opportunities for collaboration in finance. In addition to the regional single market initiative, there are also some innovations in bilateral agreements. For example, there is an understanding between the government of Ghana and Singapore for the two countries to work together and explore use of technology in improving their economies for global competitiveness. The Bank of Ghana has signed an MOU with the Monetary Authority of Singapore to collaborate in promoting small and medium-sized enterprise through use of technologies. This partnership is expected to assist the seamless integration of each country into the global trade value chain, whilst introducing fintech solutions to improve SMEs' access to financial and digital tools. The Bank of Ghana and Monetary Authority of Singapore will also collaborate to develop a financial trust corridor and gender trust and promoting trade between businesses and financial institutions in Ghana and Singapore. Singapore imports a significant amount of food from Australia, and given the position it enjoys in the ASEAN region, 
African companies can use Singapore as a springboard for expansion into Southeast Asia. In the UK post-Brexit, our government is keen to develop and reinvigorate trading relationships with Africa. The UK government has launched a package of new initiatives funding commercial deals and partnerships to increase trade and investment links. The key areas of focus for the UK include enabling Africa's clean energy potential, mobilizing sustainable finance for Africa, including a step change in the work on infrastructure funding. Last but not least, mobilizing gender and youth contribution to economic growth. There is the opportunity for African countries to agree bilateral policy agreements with other countries in Southeast Asia and Central Asia, for example. But these agreements need to be gender sensitive, following, for instance, the Canadian and Chile FTA. I also want to make the point that on the multilateral front, Ngozi Konja, the new Director General of WTO, has stated her priority is to bring forward momentum to the multilateral trading system. Whilst the health situation is a priority, the WTO focus also includes using trade to support the efforts to deal with the climate change and smooth the way forward to, for the growth of the digital economy through e-commerce negotiations. Expectations from Ngozi Okonja are high, and she has made Africa a priority, ready to assist in advancing through technical support and policy advice, as well as offering these kinds of support to helping make the African Single Market Union a success. These initiatives at policy level offer family businesses the opportunity to access new markets and also pivot their business base, focusing on rising stars of the future. Whilst innovation in policy agreements is key, it's equally important for countries to strengthen their positions at the next generation trading hubs by building key competencies relevant for the future of trade. Here, the private and public sector can combine efforts. If we look around the world, countries have strengthened their position by leveraging financial services, manufacturing, and technology. Take China as an example. China is shifting its economy from the world's manufacturing center to compete with leading finance and technology centers, challenging global incumbents in Silicon Valley and the traditional New York, Hong Kong, London, Tokyo area. United Arab Emirates too shifted its role from trading in raw materials to becoming one of the largest re-exporting markets. Dubai Multi-Commodity Center, for instance, is the larger, largest re-exporter of tea and diamonds. The raw materials come in from Africa and other parts of the world. UAE has created an ecosystem of providers to develop finished products, thus moving higher up the food chain. Mexico and Vietnam are inheriting China's position as the world's leading manufacturing center. Africa too has the opportunity to position itself in trade in a much stronger way and develop as the next generation trading hub. But a country or a cluster of countries has to define where they wish to compete and set the vision for businesses to support. Family businesses can lead the way innovative and driving public-private partnerships. To innovate and compete higher up the food chain internationally means having to think about the key trends shaping the trade landscape and what it means for how to compete and what to offer. 
technology and digitization can shape how family businesses compete, reduce costs, improve productivity, transparency, and become opportunity centers. Those in logistics and supply chain can digitally transform leveraging AI and blockchain technologies to further increase speed and reduce costs. Distribution centers, warehouses, and port authorities can use AI and robots to improve efficiency, decrease costs and fraud. Drone delivery can be used to reach rural and remote parts. Blockchain solutions can revolutionize cross-border trade processing, cutting back on red tape. These technologies can help in driving authenticity and transparency, which increasingly consumers are demanding. Ultimately, AI, IoT and big data can shift supply chain from being cost centers to opportunity centers by gathering and analyzing data. Technological developments can also enable family businesses to redefine what they offer. 3D printing, for instance, can accelerate increasing finished goods for domestic consumption or export. Some industries where it's being implemented include aerospace, medical, dental devices, and consumer products. So a dealer in cars, for instance, may consider diversified by building an additive manufacturing plant for components both for domestic and international export. Once again, technology offers a range of opportunities to shift manufacturing locally and increase share of finished goods. Many pharma companies are looking to manufacture locally. Market access to a global customer base can be improved through an e-commerce platform and payment. I'm excited by the media and creative sector as it offers an untapped potential. Again, from the pandemic, we learned the power of digital where the viewer could actually see and learn a lot more about safaris than if he or she went on a physical safari. In summary, these technologies can assist in digitization of existing businesses or help businesses develop propositions to future-proof their businesses. So far, I've shared some examples about solutions to improve efficiency and local manufacturing, but services in particular impact sourcing is one of the fastest growing area in the trade landscape. Africa with its large population of educated, unemployed and underemployed individuals can boost its share in services and impact sourcing. Impact sourcing involves international companies recruiting individuals from lower income communities and emerging markets, internationally providing them with sustainable jobs and professional training that can ultimately lead to a lifetime of full employment. Africa is the world's fastest growing continent for software development, and major tech giants such as Microsoft and Google offer programming courses and mentorship programs that will further expand the tech talent pool in Africa. Tech jobs on the continent are not reserved only for those with advanced programming skills. As IT infrastructure continues to improve across the continent, Africa is becoming an ideal destination for AI supporting services that require human perception. Many tech hubs are popping up in Africa. These trends again offer the opportunity for family businesses to innovate and develop propositions to capture a greater share of the impact sourcing market. With trade goal comes increase in urbanization, industrialization, and connecting rural demand to supply. 
This will involve demand for real estate, logistics, warehousing, industrial parks and affordable parks. Demand for electricity, waste management and clean water will increase too. Climate change and green recovery are on top of world leaders' agenda. Family businesses have the opportunity to lead the way in sustainability. And whilst many give back to communities, other considerations include their own carbon footprint and gender mobilization. On the one hand, family businesses can embrace sustainable practices and on the other, seek to develop new growth opportunities offered by the green recovery. Let's take agriculture. Agriculture currently produces 27, 22% of total greenhouse gas emissions and irrigation claims 70% of all freshwater supplies. Wastage from food, be it consumers or lack of last mile distribution, results in 1.3 billion tonnes of food wastage. Those businesses in agriculture have the opportunity to embrace sustainable farming solutions and develop propositions for businesses that increase efficiency in use of water such as drip irrigation. They can optimise crop productivity by leveraging satellite imagery, smartphone GPS, big data and Internet of Things. We cannot talk about ESG without addressing gender, which is represented by the, by the yes. The UN puts achieving gender equality at number five of its 17 SDGs, not just for the sake of individual women, but for prospects of global economy. We know that the pandemic has disproportionately impacted women, with the World Economic Forum forecasting that achieving gender equality will increase from 100 years to 136 years. So to ensure that we build back inclusively, family businesses need to think about improving gender diversity and inclusion across the workforce and on boards. Getting to 50-50 inclusively is a good benchmark. Beyond this, family businesses also need to reflect diversity among stakeholders to include communities and female SMEs. For instance, in the US, it's law that 5% of procurement from MNOs should be awarded to female SMEs. This is a practice that family businesses can embrace as, with, as they see ESG policies. So far, I've talked about steps businesses can take to improve sustainability, but the green economy also offers opportunity for future businesses. Capital is chasing renewable energy and sustainable infrastructure solutions. Renewable energy is the backbone of the CO2 free energy economy sector and thus a key technology for achieving decarbonisation. Businesses that offer off-grid solutions produce offshore wind power using the untapped coastline all solve the green problems. Affordable housing is a growing area and here too materials can be developed locally that are eco-friendly. Green hydrogen is the fuel of the future and one of the most important future technologies to reduce greenhouse emissions and cost less than natural gas. Again, all these opportunities offer family businesses the opportunity to reduce their footprint, but also to develop sustainable infrastructure for the future. As we all know, access to finance is vital to finance trade. On the one hand, family businesses need finance, and on the other, they can mobilize their capital to increase liquidity pools. I believe earlier sessions have already covered the alternative pools of capital and what it means to get an equity partner. So let me touch a little bit on cross collaboration between family businesses and the institutional sector. 
philanthropic capital and family office wealth combined with development finance institute capital can increase capital pools to support infrastructure and sustainable solutions. Likewise, family office capital can invest in other businesses, develop gender development platforms and funds to invest in female-led businesses and support them with access to market. At an institutional level, green bonds can be issued by commercial banks, development finance institutes or governments to gravitate towards clean energy and go beyond to include sustainable farming. Gender also offers potential. DFIs in partnership with private banks can develop a range of innovative fixed income and equity solutions focused on some of the areas mentioned. These investment solutions can be offered to their private client base. So in conclusion, I have given a glimpse into how the future of trade is evolving and shaping businesses. Family businesses can lead this development. For this, the businesses need to think about digitization, sustainability, and what role do they want to play in their communities and the world? What's their purpose and what does their future roadmap look like? Undertaking this process of thinking offers a good platform to involve the next generation, bringing into fold their view of the world and way of thinking. In turn, they can understand how family businesses have pivoted at various times. The fusion of knowledge orchestrated with empathy can provide a foundation for pivoting family businesses to take their place on the global stage and survive future generations. I hope you found some of the insights useful. Thank you for listening.